camera speeds. Hey, Mark. Hello and welcome to the Focus Puller at Work podcast. I am Dennis Kuhnel and I will be your host on today's episode on which I will be chatting with Local 600 Second AC, Nick Brown. Nick is based in Charleston, South Carolina in the good old USA, and we'll talk about how he and I have worked in the same state, oftentimes in the same city for pretty much the last eight years, and how it came that we have never even heard of each other until this podcast project came along. Nick is also the host of the wonderful Second Sticks podcast, and so, naturally, I'm hoping that he will share some of his podcasting wisdom and experience with me, as if to guide me host my very first episode of any podcast ever. All of that and much more on today's episode of the Focus Bullet Work podcast. Nick, thank you uh, a ton for being my very first guest uh, of, uh, you know, any any podcast episode ever. Uh, this is very exciting and I uh, really appreciate your time. Thanks for, for being with me today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your first guest. It's, uh, it's fun to be involved with, you know, with this project and oh yeah, it's exciting to, uh, to be starting, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm really like, I'm excited because you have your own podcast so I can like, you know, learn from you and I hope you're going to drop some bombs of wisdom on me. And, uh, uh, so, you know, when I get out of this, I'm, I'm a pro like yourself. Um, all right, let me dive into this. Uh, you are currently working as a second AC for the most part. Is that correct? Correct. Yes, I work mostly as a second AC, but every once in a while um, I get jobs where I'll pull focus. Okay. So is that um, because, you know, when I used to live in, in Greenville in South Carolina, um, the market was really one where, I mean, there weren't any features coming through. Uh, occasionally you would get a very terrible reality television show, which I tried to avoid as much as I could. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I would say that for the most part, it was like, you know, smaller commercials, um, corporate, you know, image films, something like that. Is that something you're involved in too? Or are you like really trying to like um, stay with the, with the narrative side of things? I, I feel like I work mostly in the narrative. I, th I think I just really got lucky. I got into the business at the, absolutely perfect time where there was a TV show shooting in Charleston called army wives that needed a camera PA. And so I just happened to, I mean that with film in general, I feel like 90% of it is luck just like getting in at the right time. And I just got happened to get in in narrative as my first like real, like full-time, you know, camera position. And so I've been able to kind of sink my teeth in and like sink my claws into the local camera crew to the point where like I've become, obviously I've become one of them at this point. Um, so mostly I do narrative like movie, like features or um, a series, you know, um, long form series and stuff like that. I do commercials every once in a while when I am in the off season of a TV series or a movie. Um, I don't do reality TV anymore. I did in the beginning um, in, you know, the off season of Army Wives. 
I did work on some reality stuff, but like you, I, I try to avoid that as much as I can. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, how's the the narrative market uh, generally looking in, in Charleston? Are you getting a good chunk of, of work coming through? I feel like I work... The, the thing about Charleston is it's such a tiny market and there's about, there's probably about eight, I'd have to count, but there's probably about eight camera people here um, that work, you know, we probably work one to two, se like I probably do a full season of a TV show once a year. So it's like about six months of work. And then when I'm not working like full time on a, a, a series in Charleston, I'll go to, you know, North Carolina. Like I worked in Wilmington for four months earlier this year, um, or I'll go do a movie in, in North Carolina or, um, I'll day play on some shows there. Cause Wilmington's a huge, you know, uh, film community. It's way bigger than Charleston in my opinion. And, uh, I've gotten to know all the Wilmington people as well. So like, we're kind of like sister cities in that, in that sense. So like, you know, we bring Wilmington people here when we need additional people and they'll bring me there when they need additional people. So okay. I kind of get to just jump between the States and, and work, Mostly narrative. That's pretty cool. Is is uh, is Wilmington still? Are they doing better? Because I, I thought at some point, you know, when the tax incentives kind of broke away in in North Carolina, they they kind of they were hit pretty hard, as far as I re remember. Um, did they get back to a better place, or like are, are things ramping up again? What's what's the what's the picture looking like in in Wilmington? It was pretty grim for a little while, for about a year or two. Um, with all the tax stuff and that bathroom bill stuff that happened. And, um, but since then it's kind of started heating back up. There's a lot of like, when I was there, I was there from November to early March and, um, it was three there was three TV shows shooting at the same time in Wilmington while I was there and halfway through the shoot, uh, a feature came. So it's getting busy which is great for them because it's a great group of people. The, the film crew there is amazing. They're all fantastic people. So it's nice that they're, they're able to start working again. Yeah. I, um, I actually, I don't think I ever worked in Wilmington, but I think it's funny anyway, because we, so I, I lived in Greenville, South Carolina for eight years. We came back to Germany just about five months ago. And, uh, Interestingly enough, like when we, you know, got together to talk about doing this podcast project was the very first time that I heard your name. And we've been, I don't know, like three hours apart. Like, I I don't know how many times I've worked in, in Charleston in the last uh, like five, six years. Um, yeah. And usually this is such a tiny, tiny world. And I've never heard your name and I don't think you've ever heard my name either, but I know pretty <laughs> much everybody else, you know, and I just think it's, it's kind of hilarious. That it's, it's strange. Yeah, really. Yeah. It's weird. I don't know, but yeah. And that's, you're totally right. Because if you work in Charleston all the time, I mean, I guess the thing is like, I work with, I, I mostly work with the same group of people a lot. So, um, I guess it kind of makes sense that we wouldn't have really heard of each other. Um, But it is funny at the same time because the film community is really, really, really like it's humongous, but it's also like the tiniest thing in the world. Like yeah. There's always a mutual friend of someone somewhere 
no matter where they are. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's awesome when you start like, you know, researching someone that you might get to work with and then you just realize like just on Facebook, like how many connections there are established already. It's like, yeah. this is crazy. Like, um, it can't be a <laughs> tiny world. I think the biggest difference um, between you and me is that you probably joined the union at some point, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. I, I never did um, because I just never had the feeling that in Greenville there was a market that would justify it at all. And I have my family there, so it never kind of uh, made any sense. But tell us a little bit uh, about that. Like when did you when did you join? Did you join early on? Did you? How was the process? I think that's especially interesting for people that are not coming from the U.S. It's like always one of those like how does this union thing work? Okay, so the way it worked for me was. Um, in the U.S., when you work on like a union job, which is most of the big TV shows or features, um, they basically want to hire union crew. And I came onto Army Wise, which is a, was a union job, as a camera PA. And technically that position doesn't really exist as far as the union is concerned um, because it's not a union position. Um, but they do they do respect your days. So if you work as a camera PA, basically to get into the union, you have to have 30 days on a un as a, like working as an assistant on a union show or movie. And the union will respect the camera PA days as union days. And so I did the entirety of army wives season seven as the camera PA. And then when, uh, probably like, two or three months later, there was another series that came to Charleston called Reckless, which was for CBS. And they hired me on that as a camera PA. And about halfway to three quarters of the way through that series, which was about, it was about a six month shoot. Um, about, about halfway to three quarters of the way through that series, our B camera second AC decided to leave the show to go do a movie called Tusk, which was a Kevin Smith movie uh, up in Charlotte. And at that point, the remaining crew who were union were like, well, we can either bump up the utility and the camera PA to be camera second and utility, or we can bring somebody in. And of course, you know, like me and the utility at the time were like basically begged them, like, just please bump us up. So, um, they, they decided to do that. So they called basically our, our first AC, our a first called the union and said, Hey, we have this guy named Nick that we want to, um, make our utility. So you need, we're going to hire him and we need you to just send him his paperwork so he can join the union. So I joined the union, uh, that way. Sweet. That sounds and like a pretty good deal then. It was nice. <laughs> yeah. Cause I heard a lot of horror stories, like how hard it can be to, uh, to join it, like all the paperwork you, and the pay stubs and everything you have to, you know, collect and, and send in. And yeah, so that was pretty, right. pretty good way in. That may, that may be, um, depending on which position you come in as. Like, I'm sure if you want to come in as a DP or something, they're probably pretty selective. Um, but as I just came in as a utility, I mean, I joined as a loader, but really I was just a utility. Um, it was fairly simple and the paperwork wasn't that difficult. Um, all I, I think I had to like send them call sheets, like 30 call sheets just to prove that I had worked, you know, 30 union days or something. Um, but by that point I had plenty. So it was very, fairly simple. Very nice. And uh, in terms of quantity, um, you know, all the all the shows you work in in Charleston are most of them or pretty much all of them union or like is it 50 50 a lot of non union work too? 
because it is a right to work state, right? So you so you could technically Correct. work on on a union show without being in the union, right? I'll say I'll say probably ninety percent of the work that I've done in Charleston is union. Um, I've done a couple of non-union features here, um, but yes, it is a right to work state. So technically, you can hire somebody who is not union, and and you know they can work, but generally the union doesn't really like that. Okay. Um, you know, and you try to, and the thing too is, is like the union's been so great for us. Like anyone that we hire in a union position that's not union, we basically, um, you know, they end up joining just because the union really does good things for us. Cool. Well, that sounds like you got a, you got a pretty nice system going on there. Um, it's nice. And not like that, you know, the, the battleground that is, uh, you know, Atlanta, for example, where it's just like everyone's trying to join and it's really hard to get in and, um, yeah, different world down there. Yeah, I've never worked in Atlanta, but apparently it's there's like an overabundance of work. It's like insane. Uh, that's from what I've heard. Yes, I mean I only uh, you know worked there occasionally, and I tried to avoid it um, as Atlanta is really not my my cup of tea in terms of you know it's just a huge city and you're stuck in traffic all the time. Um, but man, was there a lot of work! Like the time where you just you know you drive up to a movie set and you you can't find your set because there's like you know crew parking and you know to set like this way kind of uh signs everywhere and you just you don't even know where to go it's it's crazy right <laughs> so uh i bet charleston is a is a much nicer smaller uh market um it's definitely nice so as a second ac um i i think i made the switch in 2017 and uh, started pulling focus uh, and pretty much stuck to it. I think there was one commercial that I did in 2019 or so that was just too good to like not to do, you know, like it was with a really uh, well-known cameraman and um, and a really good friend of mine was the first AC. But uh, other than that, I really didn't go back to being a second AC. Uh, I have to admit though, I miss it. I think being a second AC is a wonderful, wonderful job. But could you give us like a little bit of a rundown? Like, tell me about your typical Wednesday. Um, what does a day of a second AC look like? And, you know, like you're halfway through the show, um, you know, you're in the grind. What does your day look like? Okay, so it's Wednesday and let's pretend that we're on location. So generally, um, obviously, the first thing you do at call is unload the truck and then first thing I will do is push the, the lens. Like, obviously we go and like scout where, you know, where the DP and the director and everyone's looking where the scene's going to be. Um, push the lens cart over because we use a finder. And so we want to make sure the lens cart's there with the finder. So if they call for a lens to start setting things up, we're there and they don't have to wait on us. And then once the lens cart over there, we usually will leave the utility there with the lens cart for the finder. And then um, we will push our carts over to wherever the first AD gives us a, I'm putting up quotations, wherever our safe zone is going to be for our carts. And then um, basically just, I get my batteries and, you know, get my, my first AC's monitor set up, make sure that he's good to go. Um, everything's powered up, Preston's powered up, and then wait for uh, instructions from either my operator or from the DP to call out lenses for us. Build the, uh, build the camera on the cart, and then wait for them to put track down or whatever, throw the head on, throw a battery on, you know, throw the camera on, power up, um, everything. Do you there? Do you have the feeling that 
your job in that regard has like changed over the last um i don't know six seven years maybe do you um because you just said you know you're gonna you have to build the the monitor or you are building the monitor for for the first ac um is that something you always did is that something that just happened over the last few years because i feel like I don't know, maybe, maybe I just had bad second ACs, man, but nobody ever like built my monitor for me. I can tell you that much. <laughs> well, I don't think it's necessarily, I think it all depends on the who your first is, whether they like to do it or not. Or like with my first now, I love working with him and he'll build it half the time and I build it half the time. It all just depends on how uh, ahead of the game I am. Okay. You know, like I try to be where I'm ready and I get to kind of stand there and eat gummy bears or something before we, you know, have to start working. So, um, if I see that he's busy doing something else and I have time to build the monitor, I'll build it. Sometimes he'll build it. It just depends on the situation day by day. Um, I just, at this point in my career, I'm just to the point where I want to be as ready as possible. And if that means doing, you know, helping everybody, helping my first, helping my operator, just like, I just feel like everyone, I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling, but just trying to get ahead. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'll build his monitor. I have no problem building his monitor. It's simple. And there's other first ACs that I work for that are like, don't worry, you don't have to do it. Like I'll do it. It's fine. You know? Yeah. So. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's always, it's always a little tricky to, um, you know, especially in the beginning of a show, it's always tricky to say as a second, I always had this feeling like, does he want me to touch that? Can, am, I, am I allowed to like, you know, build this or is he going to, is he going to yell at me? You know, it was always a little tricky. Right. Um, well, those are, that's actually questions that I ask. Like when I first work with someone new, I'll say, Hey, do you mind if I throw a lens? Like, am I cool to throw the lens on? Or like, how do, do you want to put the lens on? Or can I put the motors on? Like yeah. I personally want to know how to do all of that. I want to be able to do all of that. So that way, if they're off 10, one or something, yeah. And the DP asks us to change the lens. I want to be able to just like change. I want to th be able to throw a zoom on and know exactly where the motors go and which cable, you know, the cables that go where and all that kind of stuff. I yeah. don't really want to have to rely on having a first there yeah. to help me. I think that's wonderful. That's wonderful advice, uh, actually, because I think, you know, it's just being proactive and like just make sure that exactly that when your first AC has to step away, just fill in and, and, and make sure that your operator isn't like, you know, left there stranded and it's like, oh, right. Right, I need my first AC back. <laughs> um, so, you know, I always feel like if I can walk away from set and my second can cover for me without the operator ever really knowing that I'm not present for a few minutes, um, then I think, you know, that's pretty much uh, half the rent uh, in terms of being a second AC. Well, that was actually, I mean, you started, so my next question would be, do you have any tips or tricks on uh, how to make your first AC look good? But I think you partly answered that already. <laughs> but do you have any like any tricks up your sleeve um, that you are you willing to share? Hmm. I guess just never having, just don't ever as a second AC, never having to have your first weight on you for anything. Like everything that you possibly could need that you can fit in your bag. Or I use a Pelican case. Have everything that you could possibly need in your Pelican case. So that way, if he calls for something or he or she um, calls for something, it's just there and you're ready to hand it to him. And also pay attention. Like if someone pulls, if your first AC is over at the camera and he and he or she is pulling off the eyebrow or something, be there to grab it. Yes. So they're not standing there just 
holding it out like, you know, yeah. and everyone's watching them hold it out. Well, <laughs> it's like, oh no, sorry, so, I'm still on Instagram. I I can't I can't right. take that from you. Right? <laughs> Um, do you, cause you just said you had like one first AC that you work with a lot. Um, is that, you know, are you, is that your go-to first AC and he takes you, uh, on, on any show that he's doing locally in Charleston or are you working with several, um, first ACs out there? Uh, it kind of just depends on the show. Um, right now the guy that I'm working with, I, this is my first actual full-time show working with him as, uh, as my first, um, I used to work with another guy and he, he's on the C camera now, um, on the show that I'm on. Um, he's giving, he's basically a, uh, someone who's been doing it for decades and he's giving some of the younger guys an, a chance to kind of bump up. So, um, which is t super cool of him. And, uh, so I'm working with a, a newer guy now, not, he's newer to me as my first, he's not new to the business. He's been doing it for a long time too. Um, But I, the guy that I'm working with right now, I just feel like we, he and I just get along so well. You know, we just like we mesh really well, so we work really well together. Yeah, I think at some point you get to this. Um, I, on on movies, I always have the feelings like the first week is a little rough, you know, but then you you kind of click with the other AC and you kind of understand how they think, and uh, and then at some point it, it just becomes like a dance, you know, like everyone knows exactly yeah. where where the other is gonna, uh, you know, the the next step's gonna be and. Um, and then it becomes just a lot of fun, um, to, to do that every day. A tip that I guess I would say is like, try to develop like almost like an autopilot with your first AC. So, you know, sometimes you'll wear, I know right now during COVID, like we're, everyone's trying to do like 10, 11 hour days, but you know, we used to do, I've done a 19 hour day before. So, you know, if you can come, if you can become on autopilot with, with your first AC and at, at 17 hours and you're exhausted, there's still no issue. You're just like, you have a routine that you guys do together and it just works, you know, it just flows. Yeah. So you try to just develop an, uh, a flow with, with your first AC. Yeah. I think that's good. It helps advice. a lot. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Is there generally, I mean, you know, now you said you have this one guy that you really click with. Um, you know, if you could address pretty much every single first AC out there that you've worked with, um, is there something that you would want every single one of them to know in terms of uh, leadership? Because I, I feel like it's very, very important that a first AC, especially an A camera first AC, understands that like, you know, he's actually the head of that department. Um, and uh, And I ask myself that question a lot when I have a second AC with me. It's like, you know, how can I be someone that that person can learn from? And uh, how can I establish a process that, you know, makes us faster and, and trust each other um, blindly almost, you know? Um, I would say I don't do, I mean, I, I know how to handle it, but I don't do well with people that are just like, overtly rude because somebody trained them and the person that trained them was kind of a d-bag you know what I mean like mm -hmm. the the mentality of well I got abused so it's my turn to abuse you now like that is the wrong way to teach somebody if you're gonna if you're gonna just have an attitude constantly about the, the way I should be doing things just calmly tell me how you want me to do it and I'll do it that way okay But being a, being a d-bag about it doesn't make me learn and it also doesn't make me want to help you I will Because it's my job. Yeah. But it doesn't make me want to be there. It doesn't make me want to help you. 
do you have the feeling that that's maybe like a generational um, thing? Because I've noticed that it feels like everyone who's like, you know, under 35-ish at this point, is like they're usually pretty relaxed and laid back. Uh, if I ever get to work with someone who's a little bit of a, a D-bag and like, you know, very rude about it, it was either myself in like my early 20s or it was usually <laughs> someone who's like older than 50. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, the old school people, I always had the feeling that some of them were pretty rough. Um, but I feel like it's getting much better. Like the, the people our age are pretty laid back. Do you, do you share that feeling? Yeah, I completely agree. Actually, I, I I agree completely. It was it was definitely a generational thing, and I feel like the newer generation has kind of said no, no to that. And it's like we're here to have fun, and we're making entertainment for people. Like we're, it's art. Like we're here. We're not driving someone to the hospital who's having a heart attack and they might die. It's like we are literally just making a, a movie or a TV show. It should be fun. Let's have it be fun. You know. Um, so I think it is that mentality is definitely in my experience dying off, yeah. which is nice. And also it's an ego thing too. Like I don't like the ego either. It's like, we're all here. We're all on the set. Yeah. There's no reason for you to be acting like you're better than anybody. We're all here. Let's just have fun. Let's just work together and have a good time. Yeah. So I, I had a DP, <laughs> um, it was actually on a reality TV show, but, uh, he had some, <laughs> some great advice. He, he said, dude, if like we're working and we're making uh, a TV show uh, and if this isn't fun, man, then you should find a, another job. And I thought like that's that's true. I mean, if you can't find the fun in that, then, uh, you know, good luck trying to be an accountant or something, um, because that's right. definitely not more fun. <laughs> I mean, for sure. Um, yeah, it's. That's totally true. That's do funny. you do you prefer when you work as a second um, on a on a two camera shoot? Do you prefer to be the A or B camera operator? And let me um, let me tell you why I'm asking. Over here in Germany, you usually have the setup um, that the DP is also the A camera operator. What Germans usually don't do, um, mostly because they can't afford it because they don't have the you know the, the kind of budgets that they have in the US. Um, the the dp when he operates a camera is trying to be wider at all times um because then he can see the entire frame um and the b camera is usually the one in germany at least you know is the one that is getting screwed because they're usually on the long lens and they're constantly changing lenses and it's a much faster pace whereas a camera is like no you would just chill here you know because I, I need to see the world i need to see what's happening is that the same in the u.s or uh, is that really the the typical the dp sitting next to the director looking at monitors well in most of the stuff that i work on the dp is the dp and then there's an a operator and a b operator mm -hmm. you know and yes the a is generally on the wider lens mm -hmm. and the b camera which i'm on the b camera right now on the show that i'm on so we're on the camera that's on the zoom or you know sometimes we're on the 12 to 1 which is humongous because yeah. we have the alexa lf so it's a oh. huge the ultra it's humongous um but yeah we're usually on the tighter lens and i, pre I actually prefer b camera because i like I like the, the having to move and, and change things and it makes the day go by, you know, it's, it's more exciting. It's like, I have things I need to be doing. You know what I mean? Sorry. The idea of going to work and like just hanging out and standing around, um, sounds awesome. 
until you're actually doing it for 12 hours and then you're like, wow, this is not awesome. Like, I'd rather be just busy, yeah. you know? There's nothing worse than like just, you know, being on like, you know, C cam or D cam duty and it's like a stunt day and it's like, we're, we're going to shoot this one car explosion and until then you're just going to sit around and do nothing. It's like, oh, that's, yep. that's wonderful. Like, I don't think my battery on my phone is going to, it's going to hold up long <laughs> enough. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I would agree with you. I think um, B camera in that case is always a little bit more fun because it's more challenging and you're just constantly moving and uh, and right. yeah, the day the day goes by uh, a lot quicker. Um, well, if you love B cam so much, uh, just tell me real quick, like how much do you love your job? Like, period. Do, is that, is that your your thing? You love being a camera assistant, or is there you know? Uh, room for improvement you want to do something else or what do you think there's always room for improvement <laughs> as an ac <laughs> no matter what you do or as something else well in general i mean like i think as an ac i could always be better you know i try to be as best as i can be but everyone has faults and you know sometimes i like you know i'll say like my set ears are great but sometimes just somehow they'll say something and i don't hear it and then it's like you know they have to say it again and it's you know and i don't want to be I don't want people to have to say it again, but sometimes it happens. It just happens. Maybe I'm eating some crafty or something, you know, I'm drinking a delicious lime LaCroix. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but for me, if, if I had my, you know, like my career, obviously I would love to be a DP eventually, but if I made it to at least be a steady cam operator and that's what I did for the rest of my life, I think that I would just be totally happy doing that. I think that would just be like the greatest thing. I, I love the steady cam. I think it's super cool. Um, so eventually I'd like to work my way up to that, but being a, being an assistant is amazing. And in general, being in the film industry is amazing. I, I cannot imagine going back to a normal job ever. Have you ever, it would be horrible. Have you ever had a normal job? Oh yeah. I, um, I worked, you know, obviously as a, like a 16 year old kid, I worked at, uh, some taco place and you know, that kind of stuff. And then, um, when I moved to South Carolina, I actually worked at an airport, at a little private airport. So I would like tow airplanes and fuel them and do all that fun stuff. And it was cool, but that's actually how I got my job in film because army wives came to scout on our, our ramp. Oh, and I, yeah. So I gave them a little business card that I had made after I graduated from college that said like, of course I had just graduated from college and it said Nick Brown, you know, actor, director, editor, cinematographer, you know, everything it. on it. All of it. I love it. <laughs> I still have like, a, I still have a box of those somewhere in my house, but, um, I gave them, I gave a business card to who ended up being the UPM and then she hired me as a PA and then I ended up quitting my job at the airport and I've been in film ever since. No way. That's a great story, man. Huh? Yeah. Dude, you were funny. lucky. So you were lucky with the union and you were lucky with like just getting your start on that show uh, in general. That's what I'm saying, man. I got very lucky. I am very lucky to be working, you know, where I am. And I just, it was just the right, perfect time for me to be doing everything that I was doing. That's awesome. And uh, do you work for the most part in Charleston? Do you, do you ever travel for work? I mostly work um, in the, the Carolinas. I've done a couple of non-union commercials in, I've done a commercial in Atlanta. No, I've done, sorry. I've done two commercials in Atlanta, huh. nothing big. Um, and then during COVID last year, I actually went to Montana and pulled focus on a short uh, film for 10 days. Okay. And it was amazing. 
Cool. It was a Western and it was awesome. <laughs> oh man, a Western is one of those where it's like, man, if, if I ever got the opportunity, man, I wouldn't read the script. I'd just say yes, man. Like that's... I know. So, uh, but, but if you do get to work in, in Charleston for the most part um, and working on union uh, shows for the most part, uh, how do you think, you know, for someone who is like starting out in this industry... Uh, would you say you have a, a very decent work-life balance? Are your work weeks usually like 60 hours long and you never get to see, you know, your wife or, or girlfriend? Um, is there enough time in your life, do you think? I think that anyone who wants to get into the film industry has to sacrifice a little bit of their personal life. Mm -hmm. I think that's just something that you have to... I mean, for me personally, I mean, it's been, you know, I'll spend seven or eight months at work, 12 to 16 hours a day, and then basically sleeping the rest of that time in between. Um, but then on the flip side, you have three to four months off where, you know, you can go hang out with your girlfriend and go travel somewhere if you guys want to, or, you know, so there will always be, in my opinion, some sort of like sacrifice for your social life while you're working. But there is always some time off unless you choose to work 12 months out of the year, which some people might want to do that. Um, but yeah, there is a little bit of a sacrifice there depending on how much you choose to work. But the, 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 the thing is finding someone who who respects and appreciates your, you know, your, the fact that you're like following your dream and making movies. Yeah. And like my girlfriend that I'm I've been with for four years, she's new coming into the relationship that I worked in film and she's a huge film geek and she loves what I do and she's a flight attendant. She's a private flight attendant for a company called NetJets. So she flies all over the world. She's gone a week at a time. And so we both have these weird schedules and so it totally works out. We're, you know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah. we're both just these weird jobs. Yeah, it's cool. I, I think it's just really, it's one of those where you kind of have to make it work. Um, you know, uh, I have a wife and three children, so it's my wife is is very cool about this kind of lifestyle. Um, but yeah, it, it can be very tricky. Um, and for for me, it was in, even in uh, when I lived back in in Greenville, um, I was either working in Charlotte or Atlanta. Um, every now and again, I would just go on like a six week long trip, and you know, maybe if I'm lucky, you know, fly home uh, for like one weekend out of like six or seven weekends um but yeah it's true you have to find someone who's like who's like down with that lifestyle and uh and is really happy for you about you know that that you get to work on something so cool because i mean honestly it's it is one of these jobs where it's like man you you get to meet so many cool people you get to do so many cool things that you don't get to do in any other uh line of work at least not that i right that i know of And I didn't even go to college. Yeah, you know? I mean, like, like what kind of, what kind of perspective would I have if if it wasn't for the film industry? <laughs> yeah, um, right. <laughs> um, let's do um, let's do a round of uh, rapid fire questions. Um, oh boy. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's really like I just I just ask you uh, what I got five six or so, um, and you just give me a really quick, uh, really quick answer. And I'm, I might, okay, I might dive you. in a little bit, but uh, we'll see. Are you a red or uh, an airy guy? Airy. 
Uh, give me a school grade on the Sony Venice. Uh, B plus. Hmm. Give me a school grade on the Komodo then. I haven't used it enough, but I think it's pretty cool. So I'll say B. Oh, you're very generous. Um, <laughs> what's your favorite camera card? Like, who do you think makes the, the most awesome camera cards? I like backstage because I like to push with my hands like this on the posts. I, everyone says they love Jaeger, but I don't like pushing with my hands like this. I think it's uncomfortable. Oh, wow. That's wow, very interesting. I would... <laughs> okay okay that's a good point good point um do you have a, a must see or like a must watch uh one take or a one shot sequence that you really love uh it's not one shot i can't think of anything one shot at the moment i guess maybe the steadicam shot from true detective season oh, one yeah. episode four episode four I yeah think. Dude. Oh, yeah it's so good <laughs> it's so good yeah um yes. brings us to the next question gimbal or steadicam Definitely Steadicam. Um, you think Steadicam for aesthetic reasons or like, are you thinking as a second AC because it's a little bit easier? Uh, I think that for two reasons, I think obviously I think there's just more of an art to the Steadicam. Like there requires like actual finesse and training for that. And the only training that is required for a gimbal, as far as an assistant goes, is how to properly balance it and computer stuff. And I can never properly, I can properly balance it but I can never get the computer settings right and it frustrates me. So definitely steady cam. Oh, cool, I'm with you. Um, drama or comedy? <laughs> to work on or to watch? To work on. Comedy. Comedy. Uh, okay, that, that's it with the rapid questions, but I had a feeling that on that last one you would say comedy because um, if I did my research uh, right, you worked on The Righteous Gemstones and on Vice Principles, right? Correct. Okay, and so for anyone who doesn't know these shows, um, please watch them because they're just hilarious. Um, how hard is it to work with Danny McBride and like not burst out laughing after every single take? It's hard at first because those guys, when they're going, they're hilarious. Oh, um, I bet. But you get used to like covering your mouth and turning away, you know? Like the whole crew and you can look around. It's funny because I'm working on season two of Gemstones right now. Okay. And like they'll say something funny and then we'll all like look at each other and we're all just doing this, you know, covering our mouths. And then when they yell cut, like the whole crew will just start laughing. Oh, man. And when that kind of stuff happens, it just makes the whole day so great. It's like you're so happy to be there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like with so with season one, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a song. I know you you've seen the first season, right? Yeah. So there's this song that Baby Billy sings, yeah, yeah. which is hilarious. And when we shot the scene, it was like a week of, uh, it was probably three or four days of shooting them dancing and singing this song. Wow. Um, and it was stuck in all of our heads for the entire rest of the show. And everyone was singing it. And, you know, we were singing it. We'd hang out after the show even wrapped. Like we'd go out and have drinks and we'd all be singing it and laughing and giggling. And like, it's just frustrating that you can't tell anybody about it. Yeah. And then when, when it finally came out, it was so fun to just be like, oh my God, we've been singing that for freaking six months, you know. Oh, that's amazing. So it's, it's fun. But you didn't work on, uh, on Eastbound and Down, or did you too? No, that was already. I did already. not. That was before my time. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh man, I, I, I assume though that pretty much everyone you still work with worked on, uh, on that show back in the day. 
a big majority of the people that I work with now were on Eastbound as well. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. So then, uh, you know, the, that's pretty much one big uh, crew that like comes back to to do all these uh, HBO uh, projects. Yeah, it's it's we're like a big family. It's awesome. That is really cool. It's nice. That's 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 what I like about the southeast, like specifically like the Carolinas in general. Like, there's so few people that you work with all the same people mostly all the time, and so at the end of a show, you you know you're sometimes you're sick of seeing everybody for you know seventy hours a week, and then for sure. six months, and then two weeks after you wrap and you're sitting on your couch watching Seinfeld, you're like, man, I miss. It's like another family, you know what I mean? You have this yeah. giant family that you don't get to see. So it's nice when you come back and everyone's there and it's fun. Cool. Um, what do I have next? Well, l tell us a little bit about your uh, your own podcast. You have the Second Sticks podcast. Um, what is it generally about? Like, who are your guests uh, usually? What, what can you tell us about it? So my podcast, the Second Sticks podcast, is basically, uh, I, I created it, first of all, because I was in between jobs and I was sitting around and I was like, I should be artistic or do something productive while I'm in between jobs doing nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I also, I went to film school and at my school, I think I was the second or third graduating class of film students at the school that I was at. And so I didn't really learn any hands-on things at that time about what it's actually like to work on a film set. Mm. Like I've gone back to my college and I've seen the students now, like I graduated 11 years ago and I've seen their film program now. And it's like amazing compared to, you know, the, what it was when I was there. Yeah. Um, and I'm not talking crap about my school at all. I loved my school, but, um, so I was like, well, what can I do? I'm pretending that I am But basically when I created the podcast, I was like, I'm going to pretend that I am still a film student. What would I want to listen to podcast wise if I were studying film and were trying to get into it? Huh. And so I, I basically interview people who work professionally on a film set in any department. I've even interviewed actors. Um, basically how, you know, how did you get into film? Why were you interested in joining the film industry? Like how long did it take you to get into the business? Because I don't, you know, everyone has a different story about how they got into the business. And I didn't want people to get discouraged. Like, you know, if you try to get into film and it takes you five years, but you get in, you know, that's what matters that you didn't give up and you, now you're working in the film industry. You know, some people get in really easily. Some people take some years. Um, so I basically created it as like a supplement to film school. Like, Hey, what does a grip do? Tell me what grips do, you know, what's it like being an electrician? You know, how is it to be a camera assistant? That kind of stuff. So that's okay. basically what my podcast is. I just speak with professionals about what it's like. Yeah. I've listened to a few episodes now and, uh, I can really highly recommend it. Um, very interesting stuff. Uh, but for the most part, uh, your guests are at least for, I think pretty much every single episode that I listen to. Um, they're mostly Charleston or, or Wilmington based crew members, right? Right. At the moment. Yes. Just because it's easier. I like to do them in person if I can. Yeah. And, um, so I've, I've basically just tried to get like, you know, friends of mine or people that I've worked with in different departments from yeah. where I can, you know, meet them and have a conversation in person. Yeah. And I think that's really cool because it's really, um, you know, especially if you're in the Southeast, um, then I think that's, um, that's, you know, that, that's an added bonus to, 
um, to your podcast is just because it's like it's people that you know you might have heard of or you or you know or you know like we said earlier it's, it is such a such a small world so I thought it was really cool to like listen to some people that I actually uh, knew about or knew personally and be like oh cool yeah, that that person's on your podcast yeah. that's really cool well I appreciate that I actually have my um I have several of my friends who that I, that I that work professionally that listen to it and I'll get texts from people that are like, hey man, I just listened to your episode with blah, blah, blah. And like, I've known him for years and I had no idea that he did this or I had no idea that he did that. And so it made me feel good. You know, it makes me feel good that it's not just, excuse me, it's not just people that I don't know that listen to it. It's like my friends and coworkers that are interested in listening and it just feels good. It's a, it's a, it's fun. Yeah. And I think it's especially awesome because it's it's exactly like you said, it's this one thing where you go like, I wish something like this existed like 10 years ago um, when we started this it was like, man, like all the knowledge that you can just like gain by just listening to something um, for a couple hours a day is uh, that's pretty awesome. Um, that brings me to the next uh, question. What uh, what would you say is the best advice that you've ever gotten from from another AC? Uh, one of the best pieces of advice that I ever got from another AC was, and this is from several people, you want to be the AC that's, and this sounds kind of, this kind of sounds like a jerk thing to say, but you want to be seen, not heard. So being like the loudest person on set is not the way to go. You know what I mean? Totally. Like be there and be listening and be ready to react when you know you have something you need to be doing but it's not the best idea to be standing right next to the actors or right next to the dp and the director while they're having a conversation and be like laughing with your friends and having a conversation and joking you know go joke by the carts or go you know joke at crafty or something um that's something that always stuck with me now i'm only human so every <laughs> once in a while <laughs> you know sometimes you, like someone will say something funny and you're you laugh and then you're like crap we're in the wrong spot to be yeah. having this conversation, you know? Um, but that always stuck with me. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I think preparation is just like the biggest thing. Like, Oh, I, I know where it is. If you go to film school, all right. And they teach you anything technical, like how to wrap cable, specifically how to wrap cable. If someone hires you to come work on a job and they wrap cable differently than you do. And everyone on that job wraps cable this way but you were taught to wrap it that way, you should learn to wrap it their way. Oh, totally. That's great advice. That is, that is <laughs> Doesn't absolutely matter what the job great is. advice. Yeah. <laughs> Don't come in as a fresh person just in the business and be like, but I was taught this way. It's like, listen, just yeah. do it the way they tell you to do it. <laughs> it is actually funny that you bring up cables because that was, um, I think, on my very first movie as a, I was a, a VTR, a video operator. And and I was wrapping an SDI cable and then the sound guy came over and he's like, what are you doing, man? What is this? And I'm like, I don't know, just like, this is how I learned it. And he's like, nah, man, that's not how you do it. And so he gave me a cable that day. He's like, you take that home, right? And when I come back tomorrow, you know how to wrap a cable because this is embarrassing. I was like, okay, good. Man. <laughs> so I uh, asked my wife, man, I, 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 I got home that night and I... I practiced like a couple hours. I practiced how to like wrap that cable like an idiot. Um, but yeah, it stuck with me. Yeah, totally. Yeah, be you gotta you gotta come in as a fresh slate. Like take the knowledge that you've learned in school or wherever you learned it and keep it in the back of your head. 
but also you want to be a, a fresh, like people want to hire someone, especially if you're, they're hiring you as a camera PA or just a PA in general. They want to hire somebody that they can say, here's what we want you to do. This is how we want you to do it. And yeah. that's it. Like learn how to do it their way and you will be extremely helpful. All right. So last question. Now that we've talked about what, uh, what you think was the, the, the greatest advice that you have ever been given, what is the best advice that you would give someone who's like just starting out in this industry? I would say no matter how frustrated you get, no matter how much someone might make you mad or sometimes you're going to work with people that are really going to piss you off and they're going to be, there's going to be people that are going to be rude to you and they're going to belittle you on set. That's just probably going to happen. I mean, it's happened to me. Uh, don't ever get discouraged because a lot of the times for me specifically, it was just that I didn't understand the job well enough. And it's a high stress, high, you know, quick. Sometimes it can be a high stress and like a, um, there's not time. Sometimes there's not really time to teach, you know, to take the time to sit down and be like, okay, here's what we need you to do. And here's how we need mm -hmm. to do it. You have to learn quickly. Um, so I would say just don't ever get discouraged by other people's personalities. Stick with it. The better, the better you get at the job, the more you understand how things are supposed to work, um, the better you get. And there would be no reason to, to get, you know, yelled at at that point. If, if you're, if I'm making sense. Yeah, you um, are, you are making sense. I feel like though, it, um, or for me, at least the, the experience was that it really, uh, it, I feel like, especially in this industry, it takes a lot of time to like develop the kind of confidence that you feel like you have to have. And that, you know, if you look around, if you're, you know, in your early 20s or whatever, and you look around on a film set and like there's all these like 35, 45-year-old dudes and they're all so confident. And it's like the only reason they're so confident is because they have, they have gone through what you're going through right now and they've gone through it for the last like 15 years. And at some point you just right. realize, okay, this is also just a job. And yes, it is high stress, but I think at some point you learn how to deal with it. And all these guys and girls have learned how to deal with it. And, right. and you know, if you haven't yet, you know, just, you know, keep your head down, learn from your mistakes, just make sure it doesn't happen again and just keep going. Right. Yeah, that's great. That's absolutely, yeah, that's what I should have said. No, that is what you said, I think. Um, if my English you is, translated it better my than English is good enough. You know. um, dude, Nick, thank you uh, a ton um, for being my first guest that was uh that was amazing very memorable um i had a lot of fun i learned a lot and um yeah nick will be hosting a few of the focus polite work podcasts himself in the near future and uh so go listen to that and go listen to his other podcast the second sticks podcast probably everywhere like i listen to it on spotify but i think it's probably everywhere where you can find podcasts right I think so, yeah. I don't know as of right now anywhere that it isn't, but we'll see. Okay. I, I mean, at this point, there's probably also like 200 like apps where you can listen to podcasts too. It's it's getting kind of yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, I know that's a thing. It's uh, like, uh, but it's on all it's on as a, it's on all the major ones. All right. Yeah. Go listen to that, Nick. Uh, again, dude. Thank you very, very much. That was a lot of fun. Thank you, man. I had a great time. I appreciate it. So, this is my first episode of the Focus Polar at Work podcast coming to an end. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much for listening. 
This uh, podcast is brand new. So if you have liked it, please consider leaving us a nice review, one with all the stars. Uh, if you have any questions or thoughts or ideas or criticism, or if you're an experienced AC yourself and would like to be one of our future guests, then please send us an email to info at focuspolaridwork.com. And if you haven't yet, then you should consider signing up for the focuspolaridwork.com forum. It's a great community of camera assistants from all over the world. There's a ton of info about the camera department on there, as well as 3D printable parts and much more. Well, that's it from me. Thanks again for listening. Thanks to Nick for being my guest. And I hope I'll catch you next time.